Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. With me today to discuss another round of Copa Libertadores action is Austin and Simon. So, I'll come to Austin first. How are you doing? Adam, I'm doing quite well. Uh, I haven't taken off my Palmetas shirt since Wednesday night. That's how proud of, uh, of them I am. So, it's been a good week. A good week here. And Simon, how are you doing over there in Medellin? Yeah, good, good. Plenty to celebrate. We'll get into it. But uh, a comprehensive national win. I was at the stadium, dragged my girlfriend along as well. She's she's now a football fan. So the wonders of the Copa Libertadores. OK, we're going to start the show on Thursday night, actually, um, where, <laughs> well, if the South American football show had a catchphrase by now, um, I think it's probably another humiliating night for Chilean football. No, Austin? Yeah, this result not great for Universidad de Chile. A 7-0 defeat to Cruzeiro. Uh, coming into this match, I think we, we all kind of understood how big of a match it was in this group uh, with these two teams kind of chasing Racing. Cruzeiro were only on two points through three matches played. They needed a result, and boy, did they get one. Facing a lot of pressure from their fans. Uh, they hadn't been doing very well domestically. Uh, I guess... The recipe for success was playing a side that also had had their troubles domestically. 7-0 to Cruzeiro. Uh, Lau finished with nine men. And, and Adam, as, as you said, a humiliating defeat for Lau, one, one of the worst in their history. Uh, and it just went wrong right from the start. Thiago Neves, a free kick, 10 minutes in. Afinia doubled the lead to eight, eight and 18 in the 18th minute. Uh, and then a penalty for Sasa. And then before halftime, even Lau were down to 10 men. And then to start the second half, they were down to nine. And from there, the route was just on for Cruzeiro. A huge result, obviously, because of the three points, also because of the goal differential and the effect that that might have in the back half of this group. Uh, exactly what Cruzeiro needed here. And Adam, exactly what Lau did not need. And it's cost their manager his job. Indeed, yeah, and that and that's the first bit of news, really, yeah, to bring you is Guillermo Angel Oyes has been sacked after 486 days in charge of Universidad de Chile. He recorded 32 wins in 55 matches in that time, a 63% win percentage, so a fairly decent record. And and to be honest, until about two weeks ago, everything at Lou looked rosy, and really the start of the collapse came about halfway through the Super Classico two weeks ago. Um, they took an early lead in that one through Mauricio Benia. And again, it, it looked like they were finally going to beat Colo Colo after many years. But then things really unraveled very quickly. Um, Colo Colo turned that game around. And when they were leading 2-1, uh, Jean Bossayor and Mauricio Benia ended up uh, with some fisticuffs on the field. Um, two teammates that never looks good on them that never reflects well on the manager when two of his most experienced players end up fighting on the pitch uh, they ended up losing that Super Classico 3-1 um, they did kind of bounce back with a spirited 0-0 that I was at last week against Cruzeiro but when I listened to the radio after it did seem like the issues in the dressing room hadn't really been hadn't really been resolved and I think we, we, we saw the evidence of that. Um, firstly, in the 6-1 defeat to recently promoted, promoted um, Union La Calera at the weekend. Now, there was only a couple of uh, regulars who started that game. 
but still, uh, a club as big as Universidad de Chile um, here, you know, they should be able to rotate their team quite easily. And um, well, and actually, recently they'd been on a run of uh, nine games unbeaten, um, where they had managed to rotate their squad successfully. So a lot of the players who started against Union Calera had played in wins this season. So it, it was a very strange result. But you thought, well, maybe it was just one of those days. The, the reserves weren't quite ready. And I was kind of saying on Twitter the other day, you know, all of this will be forgotten if they manage to get something in Belo Horizonte uh, on, on Thursday night. But the, the 7-0 the seven nil, the seven nil defeat last night is... is um, the worst they've ever suffered in uh, this competition and the worst by any Chilean side in, in international competition. Um, equaling a 7-0 defeat to Flamengo, Lou suffered in uh, Copa Mercosur in, in 1999. So, it, I, I tweeted just as the game was finishing that I thought that Oyos should resign instantly. Um, in the end, he was sacked by the end of last night, um, which which wasn't a surprise. Uh, the journalists on the radio last night, the commentators and journalists on the radio last night, as I was coming home from the bars listening to that, and they were ranting and raving about the fact that they couldn't even see him in the stadium last night. Nobody's quite sure where exactly he was, by the sound of it. Sounds like maybe he'd spent the night um, outside of the stadium, maybe... He had found some bars and an old flame or something in the, in the in the city of Belo Horizonte and decided to spend his night that way. But yeah, it's uh, it was a, it's been a nightmare two weeks for him, and I imagine that he's pretty relieved just to get out of this at the moment because it was just going from bad to worse for him. And um, and he leaves Lou not in a terrible situation, you know, they're, they're second in the league, but certainly in the title race. There, it's early days in that, but yeah, they've had a decent start to the season, and they're also still got a chance of getting out of this group. They would need to probably go to uh, Racing and win, which um, obviously after last night looks unlikely. But even a draw might not be a terrible result if Cruzeiro slip up against Vasco. So yeah, yeah, and um, and we come on to Vasco and Racing later, but. Uh, Vasco getting a point there against Racing might not be the worst thing for Lou, given that it keeps Vasco competitive for now. Um, so, so yeah, there there were so many problems with that Lou performance last night, and and the result of it is that their manager's been sacked um, for it. Uh, last week I spoke about the worrying worrying lack of energy in midfield. And I think this was a big problem last night. David Pizarro, he's a good player to have on your side when you're in control of games. So here in Chile, in the domestic league, you know, he's a perfect player for them. He, he, can, control, he can control matches with his, with his range of passing and, um, and, uh, and, and discipline in midfield. But I, I just feel that for this sort of game, it, it needed more energy in there. Now, Felipe Seymour, whose energy was key, in that win away to Vasco um, on the opening round of, of the Libertadores group stage. Um, he isn't getting a look in at the moment. I found that strange, especially when Lou got 
down to 10 men and then down to nine men and they've still no sign of him on the pitch and yeah he's the sort of player who can run all day and you'd think he's exactly the player they need in that situation just to keep the score down instead the uh, whoever was making the subs like I say I'm not sure who, who exactly it was to be honest but um, yeah, subs were absolutely crazy. Already down to 10 men at half-time and you're 3-0 down. Was it 3-0 at half-time, Austin? I kind of lost, yes, kind yeah, 3-0. Yeah, kind of lost time. count. You got it right. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he, they, they replaced a striker with a striker at half-time. You know, Pinilla went off and he can hold the ball up on his day and they, he was replaced with youngster. I really like Nicolas Guerra, but... It was so unfair to put him in that situation. He's not the kind of player who's gonna, you know, um, really shine <laughs> in in that in that kind of situation in that kind of match. It was almost cruel to put him on, really. Um, and then just after a break, they go down to nine men, and they seem to continue with three up front. Um, surely at that point, it's got to be a case of damage limitations, especially in the Liberty stories where sometimes goal difference can prove really key. Um, so yeah, it was it was just absolutely bizarre. Um, I I did think the referee was poor. Obviously, um, that's not excusing the thrashing in any way. But um, I think Cruzeiro probably should have had a man sent off before Lou did, and um, and I didn't agree with a couple of the decisions. I think the the penalty to give a penalty was obviously the correct decision, but. The, the actual penalty which was taken shouldn't have, shouldn't have stood, in my opinion. The, um, who was it who took the Cruzeiro penalty? Sasser? Yeah, that was the star uh, with the kind of stuttering run yeah. that ended up with him going backwards, I think, at one point. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah there was a cliss. Com- he came to a complete standstill during that run-up, so he, sh- he shouldn't, it, sh- it shouldn't have been allowed, from what I understand of the rules anyway. And, and I think even Arturo Vidal complained about that, and, and he's Colo-Colo, so... Yeah, it's uh, it was a strange one, and I thought the second sending off, which saw Lou go down to nine men, it, it wasn't really a second yellow card for me. But yeah, it's uh, it's water under a bridge now, and um, and yeah, this this seven nil defeat will probably be very costly for Lou. But like I say, they're not completely out of it, and um, if if they can get a new manager in, I. The news only broke last night and haven't had time this morning to check who exactly is, is in the running. I haven't seen any names mentioned anyway from my brief look on, on Twitter. So um, it's probably going to not be a manager in place um, before their next league game, whether whether there be one in place by their next Copa Libertadores game. Yeah, maybe we'll see. And, um, and, and, may, and, and if he can give them some kind of short-term boost, then who knows? If they, if they get something away to Racing, then then they go into that game um, at home to Vasco uh, in the last round, possibly just needing a win to qualify for the last 16. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a strange group, really, in, in that sense. And um, But, yeah, last night was kind of what I feared might happen to Lou. <laughs> Where um, I, I think I wrote about in my preview, where I felt that all three of these teams they would face in the group were kind of set up to exploit Lou's weaknesses, and um, and it wasn't really until last night we saw we saw one of these sides do it. 
yeah, and Adam, for from the Cruzado perspective in this match, this was finally them playing up to the talent level that we know they possess. They hadn't shown it at any point in the Libertadores. They hadn't really shown it domestically, save for one match in the State League final that got them that title. But Thiago Neves, who has just been so massive for this club, was brilliant, I thought, in the midfield. Uh, as you said, taking advantage of the midfield spaces that Lowe gave him. He just picked them apart uh, all night. Um, obviously, Lowe going down to, to 10 and then 9 certainly helped in that. But in the first half, I thought he was instrumental for Cruzeiro, probably their best player on the pitch. The free kick goal was huge. It was actually his first goal in the Libertadores since... Uh, before 2010 when he scored one with Fluminense. So good for him to, to get back on the score sheet. Uh, Gia Hascaeta, the Uruguayan player who I really like for Cruzeiro, I thought was very good in this match. Um, Sasa with the two goals, as you said, I, I agree that penalty probably should have been, been taken away, uh, considering he stopped in the run up. And who knows? You know, maybe that doesn't count. It's still 2 0. Lowe can maybe get to halftime, uh, yeah, because Lou group did create, a little bit. The thing is, it's kind of forgotten now, but Lou did create a couple of decent chances when they were 2 they did. down. Vinny yeah. had two good opportunities with his head, and I was kind of disappointed that he didn't take them. Yeah, a player of his quality. Yeah, there, there were definitely opportunities. Uh, I mean, look, they were bad. It was 7-0. But as you said, they certainly it felt like they had a chance to get back at this before it did spiral out of control. So it was a big, big response from Cruzeiro. They were under a lot of pressure. They probably needed all three points to stay in this competition to have a real shot of getting out of the group. And now they've put themselves in a position where they're probably the favorites to get out of this group alongside Rossing. A big match away to Vasco to come. They'll, they'll need to get something from that. Uh, they'll probably need to win that match. Um, but then, you know, Rossing at home as well is, is certainly not out of the question, seeing what Vasco did there. So... A necessary and, and big response from Cruzado in this match, and, and obviously the scoreline tells the story there. Indeed. Let, let's move on, Austin, to that um, 1-1 draw between Vasco and Racing. So we've not long to go in this one. It looked like the Argentines were about to seal their passage into the last 16, but then a Vasco equaliser suddenly threw this game wide open, and, and Vasco almost got a winner, um, which would have thrown the group wide open too, no? Yeah, Vasco had a really good response in the last half hour of this match. Uh, Lautaro Martinez scored for Racing in the first half. Nothing new there. Really good bit of play from him. His initial shot was saved. He, he followed it up and was able to kind of squeak the second shot through. That put Racing 1-0 up. And then in the 58th minute, Vasco's Argentine midfielder, De Sabato, was sent off for a second yellow card. Not a lot of protest uh, for both of those yellow card decisions. Both were pretty clear fouls. So at that point, half an hour to play, Vasco are 1-0 down, and it looks like they're pretty much out of the Copa Libertadores. And then a flurry in the final 10 minutes from them. They got the one back to equalize through Wagner. A good bit of play from him to finish from a tight angle. And then, yeah, in injury time, Yago Pikachu, the right back, charging forward, has a pretty good shot that Musa, the Racing goalkeeper, went down to save well to preserve the draw. Um, and a really good fight for Vasco. I think you can credit the fact that they got back in this match. I think you can credit Zay Hicardo, their manager, who's not working with a whole lot here. A pretty good point in the vacuum of this match itself. Uh, but then you, you look at the group, and, and two points through four played is just not going to be enough for Vasco. 
they're going to have to beat Cruzeiro at home and then probably go to Lau and win to have really a realistic shot of getting out of this group. They did enough to, to keep their hopes on life support, uh, but it's hard to see them getting out. But I think they do deserve a bit of credit for the response. Rossing played well, probably should have killed this one off. Uh, Lisandro Lopez had a chance one-on-one with Martin Silva, as did Lautaro. Uh, Silva, the Uruguayan goalkeeper who should be going to the World Cup in the Uruguay squad, was huge for Vasco in this match, keeping them in it and allowing them to get that point. Um, Rossing probably should have won this match. They probably should have doubled that lead after they got it. Um, but all things considered, it's it's not a terrible point for them. They've still yet to lose in this Libertadores. They've scored 10 goals. Uh, they'll probably win Group 5, and they'll probably do so with, with a bit of ease. Um, so, yeah, enough from Vasco to keep them alive in Group 5, but probably not enough to, to really keep them alive. And Fudorasing, uh maybe a bit concerning that now they've gone on the road twice and, and have yet to record a win. But I, I think they'll be fine with this performance. A bit disappointing they didn't get all three points, but they should still get out of this group pretty comfortably, I think. Okay, now, confusingly, we're going to rewind all the way back to Tuesday night where Atletico Nacional beat Bolivar 4-1 at home. Um, I won't give much of an introduction to this, Simon, as I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain the story of the match and, and tell us just how much... Your girlfriend liked her first Libertadores experience. <laughs> yeah, well, she was she was dragged along to the to the to the Medellin derby between Nacional and uh, Independiente Medellin, kind of reluctantly. You know, she she gets excited about the national team. She shouts abuse at the players and and gets annoyed with her neighbour, as she calls him, uh, Adias, who's girlfriend used to live next door to her or something i don't know so she gets up she gets into the to the national team but hadn't really had much interest in club football but was dragged along to the classical really enjoyed it i said i fancy going to the national game and she said oh, i'll come so we went along sat in the comfortable seats but we were quite close to the south and she was you know initially like you know happy to be in the the comfortable area a bit of chicken sitting down enjoying the game and then she's like oh, i want to be up there with uh, with the hardcore fans in los del sur I'm like, okay, well, we can work towards that, see how it goes. But it was a good game to to, to attend. Um, not the most competitive at times. I think there were moments where it looked like it may become more interesting in terms of a contest. But overall, a very, very good performance by Nacional. Uh, lots of positives. Um, they, they, you know, they look controlled throughout the first half. I, I kind of felt a bit sorry for the Bolivar forwards. Um, Raquel me in particular has been quite impressive at times quite a, quite a good bustling physical forward who, who has a bit of quality about him but he was very very isolated in the first half really didn't get much service at all Nacional just looked in control um, for, throughout the team from the defence where en- Enriquez obviously is a player with a lot of experience was just very composed passing it about Heliberto uh, Palacios in the first half very dangerous cutting, uh, pushing forward on the right wing in front of him, Lenis, who was one of the standout performers for Nacional in this game. I mean, he was given a lot of space. Bolivar were very concerned with the creative players in the middle, and he was always an option pulling out wide. But every time he got the ball, he beat the, the fullback. Very, very quick, skillful. Sometimes doesn't really seem to know what he's doing, but uh, very, very effective. Very direct player. In the middle, Camposano in front of the defence was very classy. Um, his A member of his family, you know, he was... Um, a man he considered to be his father in a lot of ways. I believe it was his like step 
father um, died just before the game and he didn't have told anyone. Um, so on the full time whistle, he, he burst into tears. But it really showed his professionalism and showed, you know, what a what a committed, strong character he is to have got through the game and been so so composed and so so controlling in the midfield. So he had a very good game. In front of him, Castellani and uh, Magnelli were were pulling the passes and playing really nice football. Um, Vladimir Hernandez cutting in from the left wing as well, giving them some pace. So Nacional was starting to look like a proper team. Obviously, you know, we're talking about Bolivar away, not the strongest of opposition, but you know, there was a lot of nice things happening. Daida was well linking really well. I think when Nacional have all of their players, they're starting to look pretty good. Um, in terms of the goals, uh, you know, the first one was a, a, a cross from deep, hung up to the far post, broke free, and Castellani volleyed it in. A nice finish. The second one, Dairo was slipped through, one-on-one, shot was parried, Vladimir touched it in. Third one, Castellani was put through, keeper parried, and Dairo tucked it away. Um, and then just before half-time, you know, Bolivar had a couple of chances, and even after half-time as well, they, you know, they looked like they might might be back in the game. Um, the goal they scored was a low cross, tapped in. Uh, they, you know, they, Nacional came out of the second half very, very relaxed, kind of feeling job done. They had two games in 24 hours. They played junior the, the night after, and it kind of looked like they were thinking a little bit ahead to that. But then uh, a nice, really nice reverse pass by Magnelli on the left-hand side, inside the defender. You know, He's done it many, many times, but really, really well executed. And then Dayla Moreno finished nicely. And after that, you know, it was a, you know, see the game out. There were points when it was, you know, 3-0, three, three when Bolivar looked like they might make something of a game. But uh, Nacional got the fourth and that was the end of the contest and uh, a very composed, complete performance. I think Lenny's maybe fulfilling the Orlando Barrio role as the kind of the outlet, the pacey outlet. Magnelli's looking good. Uh, Castigiani and uh, Camposano. Camposano is very important, very composed midfielder so not perfect but not too far off for national and a and a very upbeat atmosphere you know and you know one of the things i would say is even if maybe you know you're not the biggest football fan if you're listening to this you probably are but if you've got a friend or a girlfriend who's not a biggest football fan drag them along if you're in south america drag them along to a game and i'm, I'm sure they'll get they'll get well into it because it's the atmosphere you know, the songs and the band and the, you know, the whole thing about it. Um, even if you're not sure if they're the biggest fan, drag them along and I'm sure they'll find something to enjoy because it's madness. And in, in the best possible way, it's madness. So it was a really fun experience, a fun game and also fun to see my girlfriend really getting into it and, and singing along to the songs uh, and, and getting involved in the, the atmosphere of the game. Yeah. And Simon, you and I were talking pre-pod, basically outside of Delphine going on some sort of run, this Result pretty much puts Nacional through in this group, too. And that's a really good result for them. They've been really dominant so far in this Copa Libertadores. Do you think they have a chance to, to make another big run like they did in 2016? Um, I would say, I mean, looking at league form as well, things aren't quite perfect. But what I would say is that there's a clear plan and there's a, a 11, 12, 13 players with the quality to 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 be competitive if that plan's implemented. You know, obviously the only game that was disappointing for Nacional so far was that away tie against Bolivar. But even in that, I could see that there was clear instructions. It was a 1-0 defeat in the end, but I could really see that the, the team was well drilled and they had a clear plan and they were looking to execute that. In the end, they couldn't get the goal. They, you know, they slipped up here and there. But, you know, losing a game but having a clear idea and just being a bit unfortunate 
isn't the end of the world. Everything else in the Libertadores has been very, very professional. In the league, at times, they've been a bit un- uninspired, you know, a little bit limited. But you can really see that when it comes to these big continental competition games, that they've got a plan and they're very well drilled and there's the quality there. So I think things are slowly falling into place. Not the most difficult of groups they would have expected to have got through, even if they hadn't necessarily been at their very best. But I'm starting to feel something positive about this side. I'm liking the balance. I'm liking the organisation. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm feeling positive. You know, we'll see. They're going to face tougher competition when they get through. I'm going to say when. I'm pretty sure that they will. Um, but so far, so good. Uh, lots of very positives, and I'm, I'm impressed with the manager. He's done a very good job in terms of getting organised and you know getting a, a clear plan in place. I was keeping an eye on this game just uh, from the Chilean perspective, really. Given that Colo Colo played Delfin next week um, away in Manta in Ecuador, you know that's a huge game in this group. Um, Bolivar there, four games played, five points. Delphin, three played four points, and Colo Colo, three played one point. So if Colo Colo can get the win and get some revenge for that embarrassing 1 0 defeat they suffered a few weeks ago against the Ecuadorians, then that would throw this group wide open, the, well, the second place to this group anyway. And. Um, and and yeah, it, it will be it will be a really interesting last couple of match days uh, to see who will grab second spot in this group. Because yeah, like you two, so I'm pretty sure Atletico Nacional have uh, have first place wrapped up. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, Bolivar have got an away game in in Chile, which could be tricky. They've been very good at at home, but struggled away. And then they've got a home game against Delfin, so that could really mess things up. You know, they, they could. You know, I think they may lose it away in Chile, and then they've got that home game. You know, it's gonna they, everyone's gonna take points off each yeah, other. Yeah, I, I, I think the Bolivians will probably get to eight points. Um, so that means that Colo Colo need to win away to Delfin to give them four, then beat Bolivar at home, which would give them seven, and then that will probably leave them needing um, at least a point away to Atletico Nacional on the last match day. But with the Colombians already qualified, you know, there's talk here that, you know, that, that, that might not be quite so difficult. So, so yeah, we'll we're have to wait and see how this group unfolds. Let's move on to Group 8. Um, Group 8 was spread across Wednesday night and um, Thursday night, but it but it's left us with one of the big possible stories of the 2018 Liberty Stories so far, because Boca Juniors lost at home 2-0 to Palmeiras, and that was followed on Thursday night by Junior beating Alianza Lima 1-0, which means that if Junior beat Boca Juniors next week, then one of the big favourites for this competition is out at the group stage with a match to spare, which would be a huge shock. Austin, I know that you were keeping a keen eye um, and you've already said that you're, you haven't taken your Pal- Palmeiras shirt off since this 2-0 victory. Um, not many sides go to Bombonera in, in Libertadores um, and win by two clear goals. Um, I, I watched some of this game. It seemed pretty end-to-end, entertaining match. And it, and it looked to me like the Brazilians took their big chance, chances and the Argentines didn't. 
Yep, Adam, I think that's a perfect summary of this match. Uh, not a ton of clear-cut chances, pretty open football, uh, and Palmeiras took their chances, and Boca didn't. Uh, you mentioned it, not a lot of teams go to La Bomanera in the Libertadores and win by multiple goals. In fact, this is only the second time it's ever happened, and the first time that a foreign team has done it, Independiente, were the other side. So just the second time in history that a side has gone into La Bomanera in the Libertadores and won by multiple goals. This was a composed effort from Palmeiras. Um, I thought they played very well, did well to take their chance. This was nearly a dream start for Verdown. Within the first minute, the Boca goalkeeper Rossi attempted a clearance that hit the backside of Keno, the Palmeiras attacker who had charged him down, and the ball just flashed wide of the post, nearly ricocheting in for what would have been an opening goal and a dream start for Palmeiras. Uh, they played well for about the first 10 minutes and then sat back a little bit. Uh, Boca didn't really create anything clear, though, during that time. And then in the 40th minute, really good bit of play for Marcus Holsha, the right back. But quite an eventful night did Marcus Holsha. Uh, he was key in contributing to this first goal, but also had his hands full with Christian Pavone. Pavone pretty much got whatever he wanted in attack for Boca. And it was pretty surprising, honestly, that it didn't end up in a goal for him. But Hosha crossed it in, a really good header from Keno across the face of goal, put it back in, 1-0, Palmeiras lead. And at that point in the 40th minute, uh, the thinking for Verdam was, okay, let's get to halftime at 1-0. And they very nearly didn't because just about immediately after that, Boca had a golden chance. Ramon Avila all alone in the six-yard box. All he has to do is just direct it towards goal, and it's level at 1-1. And he somehow put it wide. I still have, I've watched this back countless times. And I have no idea how he managed to miss the target from the area which he was in. But a huge let off, huge, huge let off for Palmeiras that that happened. Uh, later on, Avila had one chopped away for offside as well when he finally did finish. Not his night in attack for Boca. Uh, so it was 1-0 to Palmeiras. And then Boca applied the pressure really to start the second half. Pavone had a really good curling effort from a tight angle that Jailson, the Palmeiras goalkeeper, did really well to push aside and save. It looked like it was headed for the top corner. Jailson went away to his left and was able to get it out. And then a moment of madness in defense from Boca allowed Palmeiras to double the advantage. Rossi, the goalkeeper, came off his line after a long ball way outside the 18-yard box. And he did pretty well to win it with his head initially. But at that point, the ball is just fluttering around 30 yards from goal, and there is nobody in the 18-yard box for Boca defensively. Palmeiras had one and then two chances to kind of force it through. It was blocked away both times. Lucas Lima had his first attempt blocked, but then his second attempt, he was able to lift it over the defense with his left foot, and it went in towards the goal. Doubled the advantage, 2-0 to Palmeiras, and they were able to see it out pretty well from there. Again, pressure came from Boca, but, but not a whole lot from them. Uh, Palmeiras were by no means perfect on the night, but they took the two great chances that they created. They really only had two chances the whole night. Uh, three, I should say. They had a counterattacking opportunity that they weren't able to take advantage of when it was 1-0. But aside from that, they were composed. Uh, this was the type of defensive performance they needed. Yes, they conceded some opportunities, but Jailson has just been a really good player in goal for them, and, and he kept them out. Uh, Marcus Hosha had his hands full at right back with Pavone, and I didn't think he did a great job defending him. Uh, but to be honest, not a lot of people do a great job of defending Pavone on the left wing. Uh, Felipe Melo and Bruno Hiki in the defensive midfield both played really well. I thought 
Melo did a very good job of controlling his emotions, something that, as we know, uh, is a bit of a problem for him. This was actually the first match back for Nancy Hernandez on the Boca side after he was suspended for the incidents uh, between Peñarol and Palmeiras last year. Uh, in what could have been a very charged atmosphere, obviously pulsating La Bombonera, a lot of fans, a lot of pressure. Felipe Melo did really well to, to control his emotions in this match and just make those crunching tackles that he's he's really good at. Uh, Bruno Hiki as well in the defensive midfield was strong for Verdown. Um, not the best match from Dudu. This is a Palmeiras team that I think is starting to show some signs of fatigue. It's, it's been a lot of matches in a row for them. It seems like every midweek they're playing and then every weekend they're playing again. But this win makes them officially the first team into the round of 16 in the Copa Libertadores. And what that means for them is they have a chance to kind of take a step back in this competition. Yes, they'll still want to win the group, but they should probably be able to do that with with another point. Certainly another win would would guarantee them the group. I expect Palmeiras, I hope Palmeiras rotate for that trip to Alianza Lima. There's no need to send the first team out there again for another midweek match when, when you see what's coming up on the fixture list for them. Send some reserves there, see what happens, and then if you need to, you know, play the first team against Junior to seal the group. But there could be a scenario in which you don't even have to do that. Uh, Boca were it created some opportunities. I think they were unfortunate in that most of them fell to Abila, and, and he wasn't on his night. Pavone, brilliant again, as we know he can be. Tevez played well, wasn't able to finish the match, had to come off a bit before the end. I thought he was okay. Certainly had some opportunities. Pavone, definitely the best player for Boca. Um, also, one final note on this one. I thought the official Roberto Tobar, the Chilean, did a very good job for the most part. With one exception, I thought he probably should have sent Magallan off for Boca. Uh, he was on a yellow card early in the, or just before halftime. He picked up a yellow and then... On a, on a challenge that probably could have been a red card. It didn't need to be a red card, but it certainly could have been. He slid over the ball. And then in the second half, he had a pretty clear yellow card offense on Lucas Lima that, that wasn't shown as a second yellow. That would have obviously changed the complexion of this match, but um, a, a great result for Palmeiras. They're the first team through. And as you said, Adam, this now puts Boca in a precarious situation because if they go and lose in Barranquilla to Junior, they're out of the Copa Libertadores. Yeah, and that's because Junior beat Alianza Lima 1-0. Simon, you saw this one. They must be getting pretty excited there for the possibility of knocking out Boca Juniors next week. Yeah, obviously it's a possibility, but um, it's obviously a very big challenge. You know, Junior, since sacking uh, Mendoza a couple of weeks ago, for me, have looked a little bit more impressive, a little bit more direct, using the width. For so long, um, in the last few months, you know they've got a lot of a good attacking quality, and we've spoken about this many times. But what tends to happen is they get the ball to the edge of the opposition box, start passing it around, and then they've got their four or five attackers joined by two or three more, and they end up with eight players parked around the opposition box, and they lose the ball, and then they're hit on the counter. It was a very easy way. It was a very the way they played really played into the opposition and it made it very easy to defend against. But they have a lot of pace and they're starting to use that more. Uh, Diaz, a, a young winger, has been used a little bit more on the left. Uh, Jimmy Chara has been pulling wide and, and running at the uh, the opposition more. So they made a, a lot of hard work for this game. They they should have really had more goals. In the end, they were holding on to a 1-0 lead um, into the final seconds. But they've won two games in two obviously against Alianza Lima, 
not the strongest of opposition in this tournament by any means. But uh, I can see some positives, both in terms of the results, which is obviously very important to keep them in contention, but also in terms of the way the, the style of play is developing. They're a bit more willing to counter-attack, using the pace. Uh, Marlon Piedraita uh, has played more right back. He's not the strongest defender, but his delivery is excellent. Um, and I think if you have Chada cutting in from the wing or, or having a bit more of a free roll, having a, a fullback who can then be available to pick up the ball from deep and, and cross really, really effectively, he's been very important for them. And he wasn't playing so re- frequently under the previous manager. Not the strongest defender, as I say, but very, very good on the ball and can be really important in these tight games. In the end, the goal came from Maurice, a player I'm not always convinced by, as as any listener to the pod will be, will know. He's somewhat limited, but he did what he does. He, he he had his back to play, took the ball down, spun and volleyed really nicely into the to the goal. You know, he's a player who's not the most tactically aware or the most subtle, but you know, I, I can't deny that at times he has his moments where he's really effective, and and he was key in this game. He scored the goal that made the difference. Um, Alianza had the occasional cross into the box, a couple chances here and there. But Junior dominated possession um, clearly in this game. Uh, they made it hard work for themselves, but in the end they got over the over the line and, and a big win. And now they face Boca, which is going to be huge. The stadium wasn't quite full in Barranquilla, but I think for this Boca game, people are really going to come out and it should be a, a fascinating one. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Boca, not in the best moment, but... Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Junior have a lot of quality. We'll, hopefully they can have the tactical plan to to make the most of that and, and stay strong in defence and, and hopefully use the likes of Chara and the likes of Teofilo Gutierrez to, to get the goals they need and, and win that game and hopefully eliminate Boca and put themselves through will be a big, big step for the club. And a quick word on the Peruvians who, who look possibly the worst team in the Libertadores uh, this year. Um, certainly in the group stage anyway. They've gone... 607 minutes without scoring in the Libertadores, 967 minutes without scoring in international competition in general. So I guess that includes Sudamericana performances from previous years. Uh, there's nine matches without winning in the Libertadores across a number of years now and, um, and 30 matches without winning in either Libertadores or Sudamericana. So Lima on an absolutely terrible run in South American competition. And this was always going to be a tough ask for them in this group anyway. But apart from that spirited um, opening draw they got against Boca, which looks like it could really cost the Argentines, we haven't seen really anything from them since, have we? No, no, not at all. And, you know, at the moment, you know, Garcilaso, obviously they're much more competitive in their group and we'll talk about them. But the two Peruvian sides at the bottom of their tables, uh, Lima, obviously the the more striking one with just one point. Um, yeah, they just they're just not that good. They're just not very good. They, I mean, they they withheld Junior for. I think the analysis minutes. can stop there, right? They're just not that good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be kind. They 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 didn't concede for 60 minutes, but again, Junior had 65, 66 percent of possession, many, many chances. I think 28 shots on goal. Um, you can't really the the nil nil down to to Alianza as, as opposed to uh, Junior's wastefulness. Really, um, they had three shots. Junior had 28. Um, it was a really dominant display, and I think the result was a bit flattering for the Peruvians despite the loss. Yeah, indeed. Um, let's move on to Group Four. 
um, which saw Santa Fe draw 0-0 against Flamengo and River Plate beat Emlec 2-1. We'll start with the match which played on Wednesday night, which saw a really poor performance from Brazil's biggest club, Flamengo. Also leaves us with a possibility of a, of a Copa Libertadores record, where because Santa Fe now have four draws from four matches. If they get another two, then they will become the first team in Libertadores history to draw all six group games. What, a, what an achievement that would be from one of the World Football Index favourite teams. No, Austin? <laughs> yeah, this match was unfortunately incredibly predictable. We said it on last week's show. At some point, if Santa Fe want to get out of this group, you have to think they're going to need to win a match. And they probably will. But there is a possibility that six points from six draws could be enough to get them out of this group if Flamengo go on and lose twice to River and Emelec again probably not likely they lose at home to Emelec but stranger things have happened two more draws from Santa Fe and six points in in an even goal differential could get them out of this group which is just absurd uh as for the match itself um I think controversy was probably the headline here both teams were probably denied a, a pretty clear opportunity in the first half, Enrique Dorado, the attacker for Flamengo, pretty clearly handled the ball in the 18-yard box after a shot came in from a uh, Santa Fe player. Dorado pretty clearly leaned into it with his arm. It hit him in the arm and, and went out of play. Uh, the official, Daniel Fedorchuk, elected not to give a penalty. That could have been the opportunity for Santa Fe to score. And then right at the end of this one, uh, Santa Fe get off incredibly fortunate uh, the official showed five minutes of added time, and we were about three seconds past those five minutes. Flamengo had the ball, lost it momentarily, and in that moment, the official chose to blow for full time, even though two seconds after, Flamengo were in on a one-on-one with Giovanni in on Zapata, the Santa Fe goalkeeper. He finished off that chance, but the official already said that he had blown for full time. He made very clear, I gave five minutes, I allowed five minutes, match is over. Um, so Flamengo could have yet stolen all three points. It would have been a very, very kind result to them. Yeah. Um, Marcio uh, Barbieri, yeah. yeah. I, I think the controversy uh, kind of overshadows what was another poor performance from Flamengo. Mauricio Barbieri, uh, the 37-year-old in charge temporarily, uh, it, it appears like his temporary stay needs to be done because Flamengo just haven't shown anything in this competition, they've really not shown anything in the Brazilian down either. Uh, he waited too long to make any sort of substitution. Uh, that attacking, the attack just just wasn't there. Diego's form continues to drop for Flamengo. Um, Vinicius Jr. has been much better off the bench than he has been when starting. That was the case again tonight. And, um, one of those substitutions saw Marlos Moreno come on, though, and, and try to showcase some of his skills. Yeah. I, I saw that Simon enjoyed that little uh, cameo from the Colombian. <laughs> yeah, he just he just got the ball and did about 15 stepovers, then gave away a free kick, and that was about it. But <laughs> Yeah, it <laughs> seems like... Marlo said, all right, I've got five minutes. I need to do everything I can in five minutes to show that yeah. I can start. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't blame him, really. You know, he, he, he's <laughs> barely given a chance anymore, which is unbelievable given his uh, reputation um, when Atletico Nacional won this competition a couple of years ago. I'm pretty sure any club on this continent 
would have put him straight in their first team after seeing his performances that year. Um, but yeah, now he can't get a game for what looks like a very average Brazilian team. It's, it's, it's a bit worrying. And, and it's the number of times he's opened up Santa Fe for, I mean, he played regularly for Nacional and there are multiple games where he's been the man who's unpicked Santa Fe. Um, and you think a Colombian guy coming back to Colombia against an opposition that he knows and has beaten single-handedly on his own before and he gets five minutes off the bench and it's so difficult because as I said, he was just desperate to do something to get some headlines. And you know, you're never going to play your best football if you're just desperately trying to make an impact in the five minutes you get here and there. You know, he was tracking back, trying to win the ball, making a few clumsy tackles. And, you know, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. He, he ends up doing things that he shouldn't be doing or things that he's not accustomed to doing because he's trying to do something. You know, it's tough. Simon, what did you make of Santa Fe here? Again, the draw now, they're fourth in four Libertadores matches. They're on four points. Flamengo are still somehow unbeaten in this competition with one win and three draws, which I suppose isn't all that much better. It shows how important that cameo from Vinicius Jr. was against Amalek. Uh, same old, same old, it felt like for me, from Santa Fe. And, and they're probably going to have to beat Amalek if they want to get out of this group. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that they had overall the best with the play. I think Blatt is always dangerous on the right. Uh, Badoué had an f- okay game. He, he put in. He had a free kick that was narrowly wide and just headed over. Um, Roa, who came on late, I thought looked a bit more composed. You know, Santa Fe very much focused on their kind of four-three-three and attack four-five-one in defence, um, with the wingers providing the pace. And I think Roa came on on the left for um, Badoué and, and brought, brought a bit more composure came inside a bit more bit more creativity. So that's maybe something they want to utilize a little bit more often. In the kind of right, there's fifteen left on let fifteen minutes left, let's bring on someone who can actually think the game, uh, as they did with Omar Perez for many, many years. Um Roa gave a bit of that, but he also then also gave away the ball and was very lucky that the the goal was um disallowed for the final whistle. Another quick point as well, Marlos Moreno almost scored <laughs> The ball was crossed in and the referee decided it had gone out just before the cross was made. And it came to um, uh, Marlos and he skied it over the bar. I think he's very relieved that that was given uh, as a goal kick. And instead of uh, having the responsibility of, of skying that open goal, that could have been <laughs> devastating for his career. He can now pretend, oh yeah, I knew it was off. I knew it was off. I just kicked it, off, kicked it away. Waste some time thinking tactically. But really, that was a bit of an embarrassing one. Overall, Santa Fe were a bit more lively. Another day they get the penalty, they get one of these crosses, someone gets a toe in it, it goes in. I think they were a little bit more creative, but again, that may come down to Flamengo being so flat and disappointing. Um, I think Vinicius, while I didn't have the most effective game, was one of the few outlets for Flamengo on the counter, uh, giving them a bit of dynamism, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, Flamengo almost stole it, but I think Santa Fe probably just edged the game overall. As the home team, you would somewhat expect that, but they need a bit of luck in Santa Fe. They haven't got a huge amount of quality. They're organised, they stay in games, they just need one of these crosses to go in and then to be able to hold out. So, yeah, it's, it's they're still in with a shout, but they need to get one of these, one of these results, and, and I think a bit of luck will be the key to that. And Austin, you saw the other game in this group, which was played um, on Thursday night, and, and it saw River Plate get a 2-1 win over Emelec. It, it's a result that means that River are well-placed to advance to the last 16 now, and 
and we also have to give a quick mention to just how disappointing Emelec have been this year in the competition because they were pretty entertaining last year, fairly decent side, um, but we really haven't seen much of them at all in, in, in this year's tournament and, and Jefferson Mondero, one of the headline sign-ins in South America this year, we haven't seen much from him either, no? No, and he didn't. He didn't even start or feature on the bench in this match for Emelec. Um, gosh, this group just went about exactly as you would have expected it to go this week. Flamengo and Santa Fe played a, a boring draw, and then River Plate once again don't look great. They bring on Juan Quintero with half an hour to go. They get a goal and they win, despite not looking all that impressive. Uh, they actually got a second goal then in this match as well for Martinez, Lucas Prato. Deserves a bit of credit for his finish on the first goal. Uh, a player that River obviously spent a lot of money to bring in from Sao Paulo. Thought his finish was actually very well taken and deserves some credit for that. Martinez then doubled the lead. Uh, Emelec got one back in the 92nd minute with some really, really good football. Um, and I was talking with Simon Prepon. Why didn't you play like that at any other point in this match? Uh, I know they were away in Buenos Aires, but the goal was actually really, really well worked from Emelec. Uh, but by that point, there were only about two minutes of, of stopping time left. Certainly not enough to, to go and get an equalizer. Yeah, I, I've been disappointed by Emelec. I haven't quite been impressed by River. Um, but I think they deserve a bit of credit for taking opportunities, which is something both Flamengo and Santa Fe have, haven't been able to do. Uh, that has River on eight, Flamengo on six, Santa Fe on four, and Emelec on one in this group. So just about curtains for Amalek. River are, are feeling pretty good about themselves. They still have a home match against Flamengo and a trip to Santa Fe still to go. But this group could still go a, a number of ways. Uh, if just one team can pick up a win, that, that would kind of shift the complexion of this group. Um, so again, River were fine. They did enough to get the result, but, but it's not the type of performance that will have you thinking, oh, this is this is one of the best teams in this competition. Again, it's Quintero coming off the bench that changes the complexion of the match. That seems to be the story every time with River. At some point, you have to think that Gallardo is going to start him. It'd be nice. Um, I also think it's important to have a quick mention for Gonzalo Martinez's goal, which was spectacular. Uh, a burst, got the ball quite you know, in the quite deep, ran past the defender and then a little dink over the keeper's head, uh, you know, running at pace and to have that composure to, to lift one really nice technique. So that's definitely worth a little a little watch as well because really, really nice goal. But yeah, I mean, Quintero, he, it's like what more can he do? Uh, initially, there were questions over his fitness. You know, he was a bit heavier. He seems to be in better shape now. Um, and yeah, you know, he's an effective sub, but, uh, you know, maybe give him a, give him a few more minutes, see what he can do from the start. Uh, but yeah, a, you know, a good result for River. Uh, and it's nice to see Kandero back to, back to form and giving Peckerman a headache in terms of selection for the World Cup. Now we're going to move on to Group 3, um, which saw... Atletico Tucumán grab a 3-0 victory over the strongest and Peñarol get a 2-0 win over Libertad. Now, this group um, is far from over, despite Libertad being on nine points and the strongest only being on three. But with two games to go, the fact there's been no draws in this group 
means any of these sides could still make it through. Looking like the strongest are probably heading out after their 3-0 defeat to Tucumán last night. But these two wins for Tucumán over the strongest have really given them hope in this group, no, Austin? Yeah, exactly. We, we had written them off in this group two matches ago. They were on no points through two played. They had a trip to La Paz in front of them. And the 2-1 result there, and then they took care of business at home. Uh, a pretty easy 3-0 match. When you imagine Bolivian team going away from altitude, this is kind of the result you imagine. If you have that picture in your mind, you pretty much know what happened here. Um, Tucumán scored early, they scored often, and they scored pretty much because the strongest couldn't keep a defensive line. Uh, they were shambolic in defense all over the place in this match, just getting picked apart. Uh, Diaz, uh, I called this a Miguel Borja special, just the run straight and score. Uh, that's exactly what he did. He ran onto a through ball, no defenders anywhere close. Boom, one-on-one with the keeper, Caballero, it's 1-0. And then right before halftime, more poor defending, allowed Nunez to go through and, and make it 2-0. And then Tucumán got another one late. Uh, not a whole lot needs to be said about this match. The strongest were disappointing, as they really have been. For most of this competition, which is unfortunate given how well they played last year. Uh, Tugumon have given themselves a real shout now in this group. They're right back in it. Uh, the Peñarol result against Libertad maybe doesn't help them in as much as Peñarol could have been behind them with Libertad out and clear, but they're, they're, they're fully definitely in this. And Adam, that 2-0 win for Peñarol ends the 100% for Libertad this year and has this group, as you said, wide open with any of the four teams conceivably still with a chance. Yeah, exactly. Um, last week, Peñarol were 1-0 up going into the last um, quarter of the match against Libertad. They couldn't hold on. Um, Libertad came back and won that game 2-1. Um, this time, Peñarol found themselves in the same situation, a 1-0 lead going into the last 15 minutes of the match. And this time, they managed to see it out. It looks like it's going to be a huge game between Peñarol and uh, Tucumán next week in Argentina um, and you'd have to say the winner of that's probably uh, then going to be favourite to make it through um, it could well come down to goal difference between those two sides and at the moment Peñarol uh, are two goals better off but you know the fact they're playing each other next week Dulcaman can be three points ahead of them with a, with a better goal difference if they get a decent win so yeah it's a, it's a huge game that one and, and certainly one I think we'll be keeping a keeping an eye on um, in this game. Uh, Peñarol they managed to get themselves a penalty in the first half, right on right on half time. The experienced uh, Christian Rodriguez dispatched it. It was Simon. You were you were you were saying pre pod about just how bad the the decision of the Libertad goalkeeper no to to give away this penalty was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the the, the forwards running. You know, one of those ones where he's going nowhere. There's nothing he can do. The goalkeeper's completely closed down the angle. So he just punts it off the pitch and the goalkeeper goes straight through the back of him. And it's you see it so often and you just think, goalkeeper, just you've done the job. You've closed him off. He's going nowhere. Um, he's not going to score from there. Just let him run off the pitch. Or, you know, if he tries to turn, then just take take the ball. But you see it so often and he just slid right through the back of him and, and the ball had already gone off the pitch, but the striker goes down and it's just so frustrating. So what what were you trying to do? What did you expect to happen? Just because you come out doesn't mean you have to go straight through the forward. And yeah, a bit real gift there for the first goal in that game. Yeah, and, and 
Penuel really took control of the game in the second half. Um, uh, Libertad were really quite limited to, to pot shots more than anything. There were some crosses into the box, but they, they didn't find the success um, in the air that they had last week against the Uruguayans. Um, uh, and they sealed it in the 90th minute with Christian Palacios finishing off a, a, a nice uh, intricate move. Um, and, and it was a fine finish um, as well. Um, and yeah, that gave that gave the Uruguayans a fully deserved two 0 win, and yeah, and it's going to be uh, a real interesting match next week against Tucumán. Let's let's move on to talk about Group Six, which saw Santos get a two 0 victory over Estudiantes, and Nacional of Uruguay record a four 0 victory over Rio Gaciaso of of of, of Peru. Uh, this group looks like it's going to go to the Brazilians who have registered three wins in four matches and sit on top of the group on nine points. And, um, and this was a fairly convincing performance though from the Brazilians who edged closer to qualification um, and also a couple of pieces of skill from their youngsters went viral. No, Austin, tell us more. Yeah, so as you said, pretty easy win for Santos at home at the Villa Bomero against the Estudiantes. Gabby Goal, uh, back at Santos, started out scoring really well and then had been on a seven or eight match scoring drought until this match. Estudiantes was just the team he wanted to see. Pretty good, solid finish from him. Uh, composed the type of finish that, that makes you, that reminds you how good he really is. Uh, right before halftime to put it 1-0 to Santos. And then they bookended it with another one right after halftime from Lucas Verissimo. Simple set piece, big center back, rising above, heading home, 2-0. Uh, pretty much that does it. Uh, yeah, the, the, the skill move, I believe, it was from Rodrigo in this match. He's a player who's getting a lot of attention for Santos, just 17 years old, uh, as is often the case. Barcelona have reportedly expressed their interest in him. Uh, he's certainly one to keep an eye out here for Santos in this competition. Uh, easy does it for them, 2-0. Not a whole lot to break down here. Estudiantes didn't really test Santos all that much, and when they did, Vanderlei was was certainly up to the task in goal for uh, Pesci in this one. So the nine points, Santos just about through now from group six. Uh, Simon, you and I were talking pre-pod about how this group is really tight, but also none of the teams seem to be very good outside of Santos. So it's, it's not maybe as exciting as it could be. For Nacional, the 4-0 win at home against Garcilas. So that, that's exactly what they needed. Uh, and it came kind of as you would expect. They scored early and, and then kind of waterfalled it past Garcilaso late, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a lot of crosses. I mean, the first 30 minutes, you could see Nassau were getting frustrated. And it looked like it could be one of those days. You know, they, it didn't seem to be falling. They, they were putting a lot of the ball into the box, which tends to be what they what they do. Um, but they couldn't quite break through. And then Sebastian Rodriguez with a really nice free kick from, from deep, whipped it round into the bottom corner. And that... You know, it kind of felt that if they could get the second goal, that would be the the end of the tie, and, and that was the case. But the second goal didn't come to the 80th minute, so it remained fairly competitive for much of the game. But um, it was a lot of a lot of crossing. Nacional had more than Garcilaso, um, but uh, you kind of felt that the second goal was going to be key. They kept pushing. Eventually, it came in the 80th minute, a bit of an Arsenal 1997-esque corner. <laughs> whipped into the near post, headed on by uh, Nacional's very own Tony Adams, and then forced home at the far post. 
uh, for some of you guys, older people. I thought old making that reference, um, but uh, yeah, a nice a nice goal to on the 80th minute to make it two nil. The third was uh, again crossing to the penalty box, um, and then it was a it was a nice finish actually, a nice little toe around the corner. I think it was Rodriguez again for a nice first time lays it off, and then Barcia finished it, and then the final one Bergesio with a with another headed goal. So in the end, the, the polish came in the final 10 minutes on the on the tie. National were in control for much of it. Garcilaso did threaten to kind of upset the home side. A lot of frustration, uh, a lot of dominance from Nacional, but the goals didn't come to the end. And when they came, they were nice. So I think a little bit flattering given the overall one of the game, but uh, Nacional definitely were in control for much of it and deserved the win. Uh, the four goals, again, came with a, a very late collapse from the, from the visitors, but... Uh, a fairly competitive game. I don't think either side are particularly great, but Nacional did the job and, and they showed some good moments of quality, particularly from Rodriguez in this game. Okay, let's wrap um, let's wrap this pod up by talking about two victories for Venezuelan sides this week. It was another mightily impressive win who make it two wins out of two at home and have a real shot of getting out of this group with Colombian and Argentine giants stumbling. No, Simon. Um, but this was a pretty disappointing result for for the Colombians, Miliera. Yeah, I mean, after after a good home win for Millonarios, um, a four nil win, they were looking they were looking good, and this is exactly what they didn't need. Um, I think Lara are very spirited. Um, they really put themselves about. They have some decent moments of quality, but uh, not not the not the best side, but definitely a side that can hurt you. You know, there are some teams which have less pedigree, but look to defend uh, and see out the results. Lada aren't one of those sides. They they go for it, especially at home, uh, and that's what they did. The first goal was kind of a mix between sloppy defending, uh, a little bit of luck, but also a bit of quality as well. Um, Carlos Sierra latched onto the ball. It was played into the striker, kind of spun off and uh, he latched onto it and, and volleyed it past the keeper. Shortly after, they could have gone 2 0 up. Reyes missed a one on one, sending it over the bar. And then on 26 minutes, they got a penalty to, to make them, you know, which they converted. Sierra, again, the Colombian for the Venezuelans, tucked it away nicely. Penalty was a bit clumsy. Um, a nice little, again, a nice little touch around the, the corner. And they were breaking into the box on the left hand side. And it was one where the Mijanas defender kind of was trying to put pressure on and it was a coming together uh, and he knocked the, the Venezuelan forward to the to the floor and, and it was a penalty. Salazar, the, the young forward for the Mijanarios, hit the post with a nice long-range effort. He's had quite a decent impact so far in the Libertadores, uh, come out of nowhere somewhat, uh, had a, set out one of the goals in the line and, and hit the post in this one. But then again, Lada hit the post. They, you know, Despite Mijanarios looking a little bit more experienced and composed, the chances were breaking more and more to Lada than, than Mijanarios. In the second half, Mijanarios obviously stepped it up a little bit. They got a penalty, again, a very soft one. Adam Del Valle backing into the defender who had his hands on the Colombian forward, but more in a natural kind of, if someone's backing into you, you're going to have to feel them out and, uh, you know, be aware of where they are kind of way. It was an experienced <laughs> display by the Colombian forward who backed in and then fell over uh, and, and won himself a penalty, stood up, sent into the roof of the net and Mijanarios pressed it again at the end, but it couldn't break them through. Lara aren't the best team, but they created a lot of chances against the Colombians and, and they could have won more convincingly, despite the Colombians perhaps having a little bit more composure. Really, really disappointing result. Obviously, Venezuela is not the easiest away trip, but we're not talking about altitude. We're not talking about any 
external factors that should make it impossible for the Colombians to get the result. And it's a real setback. They looked last week, we were talking about how they were back in with a shout. And this is a big, big setback, you know, at least a point, at least something, take something off the rivals in the group. And uh, yeah, excellent result for Lada, but disappointing for the Colombians away. Yeah, and if uh, Corinthians beat Independiente uh, next week, then it looks like Lara will just need a win at home against Corinthians to go through, uh, which would be a remarkable achievement in what is one of the toughest Libertadores groups this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we didn't expect Lara to be playing such an important role. And at the moment, they're second place. Obviously, Independiente have that game in hand. Um, but it, it, you know, it's uh, very impressive from the Venezuelans, and they're, they're banging the mix. Um, really, really disappointing. I think Millonarios, we expected them to to kind of be competitive, but maybe come up a little bit short against the Argentines and the Brazilians. But they really needed to get points on the Venezuelans to to progress, and and this is disappointing. So they're now going to have to do a job in their in their final games against some of the stronger opposition in the group. Okay, and we finish up with a quick mention to Monagas, who grabbed their first victory of their Libertadores campaign this year with a one 0 victory over Defensor Sporting of Uruguay. This match, yeah, well, this result for the Venezuelans probably won't make too much difference to whether they qualify or not because it looks like they're almost certainly going out still. But it is a huge blow to the Uruguayans now, Austin. Yeah, Defensor Sporting needed all six points from their two matches with Benagas and they ended up only getting three of it. I think that just about clears the path for Gremio and Cerro Porteño who have far and away been the, the two better sides in this group to go clear. The table is still pretty tight, uh, but Gremio and Cerro Porteño both have a game in hand that will obviously come against each other, and both still have matches to go against Monagas, which they'll favor themselves to win, and still play defensive sporting, who haven't been all that good themselves. Uh, a good-headed goal from Trejo uh, for Monagas was enough to give them the win in this one. A nice little set-piece worked. Big center-back coming forward was able to kind of flick it over his head in towards the far post for the lone goal. Sporting had a couple of chances, but certainly not enough. Um, and yeah, a, a good historic result for them. Uh, a missed opportunity for defensive Sporting. They could have put some pressure on Gremio by going ahead of them in the table. Instead, they're still behind them with Gremio still with the game in hand. And, and that's probably just about this group done and dusted, barring a, a pretty big surprise down the stretch. Indeed. I'll come straight back to you, Austin, just to see if you've got anything to plug. Yeah, keep an eye out uh, on the World Football Index feed for some new scouting spotlights. Those should be out in the next coming days and weeks. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Uh, so be sure to give me a follow there as well for all the latest from me. And Simon, are you are you still too lazy to do anything for us? <laughs> <laughs> Don't put it that way. I'm a busy man. Uh... Those, those were your words last week. <laughs> 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 well, well, you know, I, I am, I'm a busy man. But um, yeah, there's a few things I'd like to get to. But for the time being, um, Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Uh, my my local team has been removed from the Clinton list. So uh, that's a big, big, big story for me personally. Um, and I think big for Colombian football as well. One of the best academies. So there's a bit of information on that on my Twitter uh, about some of the great players they've produced and about what this might mean for one of the yeah, one of the great academies in South America. Um, my little team, Envigado, uh, are now uh, free from the, the limitations of, of being on the Clinton list. So find out what that was. A, that's all about on my Twitter. Yeah, that's very interesting stuff and certainly well worth checking out. As for me, I'm continuing my 90-day countdown to the World Cup with, uh, with the 90 goals corresponding to the minute I scored in. Uh, so 
please check out that. And Adam, I've, I just want to say yeah. quickly on the pod, I've really enjoyed that series, especially because of the countdown nature of it. It's every single day you can just know oh, the World Cup is one day close. Oh, we're on 48, you know, we're on 48. I, I really enjoy that. I think it's, it's a really unique, great series idea. And I've certainly been very happy to consume those. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that it's, that it's going down well. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun way to, to see in Russia 2018. There's going to be plenty more from us um, as, as, as we lead up to the World Cup. I'll be working with you, Austin, though, on, on various uh, World Cup previews and, 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 that's, and that sort of thing leading up to the yeah. tournament and during the tournament as well. Yeah, getting closer by the day, obviously, with every one of those countdowns that goes out, waiting for some final squads to be announced so we can get those preview pods up and running, but certainly excited to be working on that World Cup project with you as well. Cool. Um, and yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at AdamBrands84, and that's all from me from this week and from the guys. So a big thank you to Simon Austin once again and a big thank you to our listeners for joining us once again so goodbye